if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. It's in the New Testament. After the gospel, so keep moving there uh, that way. And if you're new here and you came in sometime during the, the service after we greeted uh, anyone that's new, we just want to welcome you to Evangel Church. Hopefully you feel at home. Hopefully you feel something different about us. And the difference is Jesus, if you don't normally go to church. And uh, we're excited to celebrate him, to be in relationship with him. And uh, we come together expecting uh, that we are here to meet with God together as a body, as a church uh, so we're just glad that you're here. I hope that you feel at home. I hope you'll come and say hello to us, uh, say hello to me, uh, and connect with us out at the Welcome Center after service. We'd just love to get to know you some more. Right now we're beginning 2015 with uh, a series of messages called The Changed Life. And this series is all about who we are and where God is leading us as a church. But it goes deeper because it has implications for every single one of us in the life that we're leading. But uh, I'm so excited about this one in particular because it's all about vision. It's all about the place that we believe God is leading us to. And uh, we're so excited to, to go there and to take that journey in 2015. Our mission as a church, why we exist, is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we come in together, when we, when we gather to, uh, to worship and to sing songs and to hear his word and to be involved in all the things that are happening in the church, we come together with that expectation that we're in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Do you know what one of the key words there is after Jesus? Life-changing relationship. It's not just a stagnant relationship. It's not just a uh, static relationship. It's meant to be a dynamic relationship, one that is changing and growing over time. And for some of us, we have been coming to church for a long time, and maybe I'm describing you, and I want to give uh, just a few words before we get into the message today about this as a means of us getting into uh, the, the, the message. Oftentimes we come to church... And we are uh, faithful week in and week out. And maybe you even attend some other things here and there and you come out to some special services or events. And you feel like your life is kind of stalled. That's what we talked about last week. That the, the cure for insanity, that was the title of last week's message if you didn't get a chance to hear it. Uh, it'll make a lot of sense connected with today's message. Uh, the cure for insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to happen, Right? Everyone will remember forever that lady driving around that gas station, uh, not able to find out what was wrong. She had to change direction to, uh, to, to find her help there. That's the same thing for us. Something has to change. And if you're coming into 2015 and maybe 2014, 13, 12, 11, maybe you're just stuck in a rut and you're wondering, I come out, I come to church because I was told that if I come and if I have a relationship with Jesus, then my life would change. But nothing's changing. What's going on? There's this simple uh, equation that I want to give to you. And I think it's so important for us just to understand it today. It's this. Information. That's the first part. Information. Whenever you come to church, we share a lot of information with you through the message, through the bulletin that you receive. And I hope you read it. I don't know. Uh, we wonder. Um, through the worship songs, through uh, our website, through all the ministries that meet, through all the events that we have. We're sharing a lot of information. Our prayer is that all that information is about Jesus and about making him known and about how he can change your life and uh, transform you into who God wants you to be. So we share that information. And you come to all of those things, you get all that information, 
and then you go home and you wait a while and you're like, but my life isn't changing. There's no transformation. It's because information doesn't equal transformation. It has to be added with something. The key ingredient, let's call it. It's information plus application equals transformation. You can have the information knowing that you're supposed to read God's word, that you're supposed to read the Bible and spend time with him daily, that if you want to know him, you should know his word and do what he, what he commands and calls you to do. You know that if you, if you want to have a growing relationship with Jesus, you need to spend time with him daily. That this Sunday morning, that the, the whole uh, of your walk with God cannot be the 30 to 40 minutes that you hear a message from the scriptures on a Sunday morning or the hour and a half that you spend in a church service. That would not sustain you in your life. So you know that you're supposed to pray. But you know what? Knowing that information doesn't change anything. It's only when you begin to get into the word. It's only when you begin to pray that something happens. It's when you apply it, when you actually do something with that information that allows change to be possible and transformation to take place in your life. And so for you, if you feel stuck, this is a message for any of us today and for all of us. If you don't feel stuck, this is still a message for you today. You don't need to leave. Uh, you can stay and listen to it as well. Uh, so, so let's dive into God's word and let's see uh, what the Lord would have for us today. Uh, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first two verses here. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is a passage of scripture that we have become familiar with uh, in the church, if you've been coming to church for any time. And many of us, we have read it. We've read it a lot. And I think for it, 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 it looks as though you can look at it at a face value, which is often what we do when we're reading the Bible. We just read it and say, what do I think that that's saying? Um, okay, great. Let me just apply that into my life. But you've got to know that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. Is there anyone that didn't know that? That's, it's an old, old, old document, uh, older than the English language, uh, older, older than that. It was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. And therefore, this has been translated from that. And sometimes we have to dig deeper into it. Because on the surface, what many people read into this passage and how they've applied it to their lives are this. No longer, because of what God has done for you through Jesus... We should no longer live just for ourselves. We've got to live for Jesus. We, our lives should just be laid down before him. And we should not be conformed to this world anymore. So the way that many will interpret that is, you know, I need to stay away from sin and drugs and all these terrible things. I shouldn't murder anyone. I shouldn't do any blatant sin and, you know, just avoid all that stuff because that's bad. And instead, I should focus on God. While none of that is false, and please don't go home thinking your pastor told you that you should do any of that. What that is in my mind is we're drawing the line way too far out. We're drawing a line when we read this verse saying, yeah, it's just about not sinning and not doing all those obvious things that God's word says that I shouldn't do. And I pray that you will see in God's word today that the Lord has drawn that line much differently than we may have even anticipated 
And when we apply this passage to our lives, I pray that it will come to life to us. To do that, we just need to know a little bit more about the book of Romans, which we don't have time to go through everything today. But the book of Romans is an amazing, amazing book of the Bible. It was originally a letter written to a church in Rome by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it during the time of the book of Acts. So if you ever read through the book of Acts, during that time, he's writing this letter to this church in Rome. And there's a lot of issues that they're dealing with. And there are some issues between the Jewish people at the time and the Gentile people. So the Jewish people were the people in the Old Testament that had a relationship with God. The Gentile people were normally seen as those who were foreigners, those who were not a part of God's original covenant or his relationship with his people. They were outsiders. That's an easy way to think about it. The Jews were the insiders. The Gentiles were the outsiders. But something happened when Jesus showed up. And whenever he died on the cross, he didn't just die for the Jews. He died for everyone so that the whole world would know that God is available to them, God loves them, and God has a place for them and desires a relationship with them. And so when that happened, um, we should all rejoice because guess what? We're mainly all Gentiles. Uh, we're of that, of that category. And so we say amen. I hope you celebrate that, that we're a part of God's family. Uh, but early in the church, they didn't get that memo. And, uh, and so here's, here's what they said. Uh, if you want to become a part of God's family, if you want to be a Christian, that's great. But the Jewish people said, to become a Christian, you first have to become a Jewish person. And you have to start observing all the laws. You have to do all these things, some really uncomfortable things. Uh, and then, then you can become Christian. And what the Lord was saying through his word, and you'll see it very clearly, uh, especially if you read the book of Galatians, and if any of you took the class on Galatians, God says, that's not it. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's none of that. We are one body, one family. So the main thrust of the book of Romans is to help defend that, help us understand that. And it really answers one big question. What is truly the power to save and change a life? What is the power to change a life? Is it found in just observing a lot of laws and doing a lot of right things? Is that the power to change a life? Is it just following the law? Is that the power to change a life? Or is there more? Paul's saying there's more. God's saying there's more. Because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the relationship, that's the power to change a life, the gospel, the good news. And so when you dive into the book of uh, Romans and you're able to study it, you just see that come to life in a beautiful way. And so I'd encourage you to do that. In fact, this is a plug for something that's starting next week. We are going to have a class on the book of Romans. It's going to be taught in 10 weeks. And we're going to dig down and go in depth into that. It's going to be happening during the 11 o'clock service. So this is like one of those I call two birds with one stone scenarios, okay? Here's what it is. Number one, this is always the fuller service. Number two, we all have the opportunity to grow in the word. So if you, any of you, would be willing to be a part of this, here's what I encourage you to do first. Don't replace this with your church attendance because you need to be a part of the body worshiping the Lord and spending time in our service. But if anyone would like to be a part of this, it's going to be meet next week starting at the 11 o'clock hour. Attend church for those 10 weeks at 9 o'clock. Number one, you'll be able to join some friends, make some new friends hopefully there, and you'll be able to get deep into the word. And I'm telling you, it is all about the power to change a life. And if you are excited about the direction God's leading us in and you want to know more about the changed life and our vision and all of that, it's going to come alive in a beautiful way when we study the book of Romans together. So please go out in the foyer, sign up for that, and join us next week at 9 a.m. and then be a part of the, the class going through it. 
So as we're looking at uh, Romans, we get to chapter 12. The first 11 chapters, an easy way for you to remember that, uh, if you're taking notes, the first uh, 11 chapters are all of the information. Remember back to that simple equation that I gave you? That's Paul giving all the information about why Jesus is the power to change a life. And he's defending it, and he's giving them all the information that they need to know. And when we reach chapter 12 in these first two verses, why they're so significant and why you are very familiar with them maybe and why they stand out is because this is the turning point in the letter. This is when it goes from information to application. And application means, so what do you need to do with this information so that your life could be changed today? And so as we look there, Paul's saying to them, so this is now the way that you live. In light of all that information, this is how your life should look different. This is the way to go forward and run after all that God would have for you. And what he draws out here in these first two verses is what is the power to change a life? Because I'll tell you what, we are being changed. The world, we're ever changing. We're ever changing with the world around us. We're ever changing in our relationship with God. And there are really two ways that your life could be changed today. One for the better, one for the worse. We're going to start with the one for the worse. And the thing that I want to warn you about is a lot of what I'm going to share with you may catch you by surprise. Because for me, as I studied the word, my eyes were opened. And that's what the power of God's word can do. It illuminates and shows you into your life and says, wow, I wasn't really thinking of it that way. And I prayed specifically, as it did for me, that it will have that impact on you uh, as we look at God's word here. So Paul used this phrase, no longer be conformed to the image or patterns or ways of the world. Don't be conformed to this world. That word conformed literally means shaped. Like when you're conforming something, you are working it into a certain shape, a certain way of looking. It says, no longer should you be shaped in that way. And the first way that you could be changed today is you are um, ultimately shaped by culture. You, are, you have a culture-shaped life. So it's shaped by the culture, the world around us. There is uh, a lot of things that are vying for our attention. We're going to talk more about that. We can have the things in this world like money and success and all of those things in between that vie for your attention. They shape who you are. And in many ways, they shape who you are in ways that you don't even know or acknowledge or recognize. That's how pervasive it has gotten. Um, and so that happens. Now, there's a problem with that. We're not called to live in two different worlds in that way. We're not called to be pulled in two different directions. We're called to be in this world, but not necessarily of this world. And that's, that's tricky. We'll get into that later in the message. But we should not be pulled in two different directions. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is normally a, a verse that you'll hear about when we talk about money or whenever you hear a message about money, but I believe it's applicable. Uh, it's really, one, the first part of the verse is a very universal truth of the kingdom of God that Jesus wants his, his followers to know. Here's what he says. No one can serve two masters. Stop there. That's the truth. That's the, the, the truth that we need to know. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, and you cannot serve God and wealth. So he gives the truth, the, the broader truth, the truth that can be applied to so many more things than just wealth, mammon, money, material possessions, but he says you can't serve two masters. Because to have a master, to have a Lord, 
means that you have your full allegiance. You are, you are completely all in for that one, the one that you serve. So how could you have two masters? They'll be pulling you in two different directions, conflicting priorities, all of those things. He said the same is true when you try to serve God and anything else. So he's using wealth as an example here. But you know what you could do? You could put anything in that blank. Therefore, you cannot serve God and this. You cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God and let that be Lord of your life and have something else be Lord of your life. It doesn't work that way. You cannot serve God and technology. Hello? Cannot serve God and social media. Anyone? Um, you can't serve two masters. Some, if something has control of you today, if something is really grabbing you, if something you feel like you can't live without, you need to be very careful that it hasn't become a Lord in your life, meaning it has uh, an unhealthy control over you. Because in those areas that you're giving over control, that means that those are areas that the Lord doesn't necessarily have control or that he has selective control when you want to give it to him. That's not, that's not, what, that's not what we signed up for if we decided to follow Jesus. No turning back taking up, denying our life, ourself, and following him. So that's what Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 talks about. And so what I will tell you today is in many ways, we are often put in the position to have to serve two masters, culture and Christ. And we have lives that are being shaped by the culture around us, especially for the negative. The culture around us is working incredibly hard, taking incredible lengths to shape who we really are. You need to know that the culture that we live in, the world that we live in today is not just accidentally shaping who you are. They are very strategically shaping who you are. And before I sound like a conspiracy theorist, uh, you can just pick up a book and read all about it, all that you want. Read any book on advertising and advertisement, and you'll know that there is an agenda to shape who you are, to shape your identity, to shape your security, to shape your wants and your dreams and your desires. There are billions of dollars being spent every single year on this, effort. People are getting paid millions of dollars as a part of shaping your identity and who you really are and what you long for. It's really the goal of advertising. Here's the goal of advertising, to convince you of who you are really supposed to be. Think about that now. Think that through the lens of the commercials that you just watched. Think that through the lens of the things that pop up on your computer. Think of that through the lens of anything that you've seen and said, oh yeah, I want that. I want to be them. That's all been very strategically done. Why? So they can make money. <laughs> they can get you to buy in to who they believe you should be. And, uh, and so I heard a pastor talking about this, just the power of commercials. And uh, he was preaching a sermon on, on uh, finances and things along those lines, but it's so applicable to us today. Uh, and in, in, that, in, in his talk, he was in, in, ended up coming across a book that he had used in his message, uh, and it was called... Uh, this right here. It's by Neil Postman. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Has anyone heard of it? It's a great read. It's 30 years old. It's the number one bestseller. Uh, and, and this book talks about the impact that culture, advertising, all those things have on us. And it's a bigger impact than we would have ever imagined. I'll tell you what, the, the words were written 30 years ago and they could never be truer today if you dive into that work. You can even go on YouTube and you can find some of Neil's interviews where he's talking about uh, what he wrote back when he passed away uh, several years ago. But, uh, but his words still live on and inform how culture is shaping us today. But we know that uh, no one really believes the advertisements. You don't really believe them, do you, whenever you see those commercials? Uh, in fact, there's one person that was saying that 
th- their child when they are watching television. Even their young children don't believe it. Uh, you know, they'll see the commercial, Red Bull gives you wings. They'll say, no, it doesn't. Red Bull doesn't give you wings. <laughs> uh, and we're critical, right? We're very, very critical. New Jersey people. So we don't buy into that. Uh, we don't buy into all the hype and all the advertisements. And you may be patting yourself on the back for that. In fact, uh, a lot of companies have been getting in trouble lately, if you haven't heard about it, because they have, uh, they've been over-advertising. They've been giving these outlandish claims, and they're not necessarily true. Unfortunately, this might make some people nervous today. Uh, Taco Bell was one of them. Uh, they made some big claims about their all-beef burritos and, and, and tacos and all this stuff. And uh, a group of people got pretty frustrated and said, we don't think you're telling the truth about what's inside those tacos. And so they filed a class action suit against them. And I got all the way to the point where Taco Bell took out a bunch of advertisements in newspapers, and here's what they posted. Thank you for suing us. And they went in to explain and clarify and, you know, spin what their advertisement was really about in a way to uh, help their reputation move forward. Another one that got caught in this, just another example of many, Eclipse Gum. If you have Eclipse Gum, I know I have a pack of it in my car. It said, I used to say on it how it kills germs. Well, it didn't take a few people to know about that too long to say it doesn't kill germs. Uh, And so they understand the science better than I do, but they filed a lawsuit against them for false advertising. Won $6 million. Uh, so this is, this is a big deal, and people are, are in tune to that and, and are so cynical against those kind of advertisements. They say, yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And we might say in the area of the United States that we are in, we are, we are right up there with those that are not trying to buy into the hype. You may say that. And I think for those ones, that's one thing. But the, the idea behind Neil's book is that, sure, we don't buy into the advertisement when we see it once, but when something is repeated on loop, over and over and over again, you don't even know it, but it's reshaping the way that you think. And it's subconsciously causing you to think things uh, that you're not even, not even maybe understanding. Uh, and so here's, here's a few examples. You watch the commercial, you see the ad uh, for anything, and you see the house that's being shown in that commercial. And that house is beautiful. And you know that the average house that's in a commercial can be owned by less than 5% of those that are watching the commercial. So the average house that's shown in the commercial can be afforded by 5%. 95% of people watching could never afford that house. Then you see the car, and the car could be afforded by less than 3% of the people that are watching the advertisement. And you watch the clothes, and the clothes can be afforded by less than most of the people that are watching. You watch the ad, you watch the way the person looks, and that isn't how most people look. And over time, do you know what that impact is on your life? Here's what it does. It says, this is normal. This is normal life. This is the normal life. This is just the way of the world. This is just it. And this is who you should be. And you know what you would then naturally do? You will feel like you are less than average. You are less than, and I wouldn't even ask everyone that would feel that way or would say, you know what, I'd acknowledge that. Yeah, from a lot of those things, I do struggle with that. Feeling less than adequate, less than average. You know what that causes us to do? Overreach. Overspend. Have all kinds of anxieties. Self-awareness, self-appreciation, all those kinds of issues come up because ultimately we're, we're being conditioned to think differently. 
about what matters most and who we are, what gives us significance. These aren't just like, yeah, you know, the Nike say I could dunk, but they don't really dunk. These are some deep heart issues that we're being conditioned to think like. And that's what the heart of God's word is getting at here in Romans 12. You're not being conformed to the image of the world if you think Red Bull gives you wings. You're being conformed to the image of this world when you start to think, I need those things to truly be who I was created to be. And that is the danger and the slippery slope of what it means. And that's when I said the line is drawn too far. That's what Paul's getting at. Don't let the world shape your identity and who you are and who you desire to be. It doesn't work that way. Another way that it's happening is through technology, through social media. This changed everything. Does anyone know this changed everything? I'm looking as I'm, oh, oh, I have a couple, I'll check those later. Uh, This shaped everything. Got out of, uh, my wife and I went out on a date night last night and had the in-laws watching the baby. And at one point, like, I, I, like, we got out of what we were doing and I'm like, oh, let's check the phone, you know. And and we're like, why did we do that? We both had to ask each other on the way home, why did we go right to our phones? We're having a great night. Why did we even, we could just wait till we got home. Because this changed everything. We are now connected to the world and to one another in a way we've never been connected before in human history. And we have more access to one another's lives than we ever did in human history. And here's the problem, though. We have this amazing uh, width of information streaming into us. In five to ten minutes, you can find out about what three to five hundred people that you know and are connected to socially through social media are doing. You know that Julie's over at the Cheesecake Factory celebrating her uh, anniversary, and you haven't seen Julie in 25 years. <laughs> but you know this like, intimate detail of her life, and then you look over here, like, you just know everything about everyone. But here's the problem, though. It's so wide, and yet it's so shallow. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. And you know what, we're, what especially a new generation, which I would be even counting myself a part of, and especially those that are younger than me, we are buying into the idea that this is relationship, this is connection, this is intimacy, this is all these things, right? And we have, we have replaced, so we don't go here and say, what, is, what does God's word say about community, connection, intimacy? We are getting informed by this, what that is. And when you hold these two next to each other, I'm not saying this is evil, this is just a tool. It really is. I'm not telling you, we'll get into that. But this is a tool, but we hold it up to the word and we say, wow, something is very different. The people that created this weren't being informed by this. We can all say amen to that, right? So that, that's it. And so this is conditioning the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we think. And that's troublesome. It's very troublesome. And I'll tell you what, whenever, and I didn't make the plug uh, for it last service, but this reason that we're going into this series on prayer is because I believe that we live in a time where we've never been more connected to one another. And I think in many ways we've, been, we've replaced the connection with one another for true connection with God and true connection with the body the way that we're supposed to. And so the reason why, if you're wondering, we're going to have prayer groups is for that very reason that we want to come together and learn what it means to be in community again the way God wants us to be. And we want to learn what it means to connect with God again, and that's through prayer. And so I, I hope that you will not see that as just, oh, some kind of obscure prayer thing that we're doing. I believe God is going to do something great and teach us a lot 
about what we just talked about through that prayer series. And so, please, uh, without even knowing all the details of it, I hope that you would at least entertain opening your home or being a part of one of those groups when they start up because I think God's going to change a lot about us through it. And uh, that should be exciting for us, exciting for me uh, as we walk through it. So, so we walk through it. We've never been more connected. All these things are happening. Here's, you're saying, okay, pastor, I'm with you. What is the answer? Because uh, I definitely see the problem. The problem is the culture-shaped life. So what's the answer? And some of you are already thinking in your heads because we, we then begin to go like, all right, so is the answer running away from the world, hiding from the world and the culture, avoiding everything in this world, throw away my phone, cancel my Facebook account again, uh, <clears throat> Instagram, never watch television again, stay off the computer, sell all my possessions, and then I start thinking, you know, we could play that up some more. Like then let's all on one Sunday, we're all just going to move into the church. Where's Chris at? So we'll start working on this, Chris, to make the uh, rooms and everything. And we'll all just come and live here. We'll batten down the hatches. And then we'll just hang out here until Jesus returns. Escape from the world. We'll worship. We'll sing. We'll have a, we'll have a pretty good time. Uh, we, we get on each other's nerves really quickly, let me tell you. But you know what? That, that then creates this idea that then the church becomes like the bomb shelter from the world and from culture and from all these different things. And we're like, you know... Let's just, like, let's just wait out our time to the return of Jesus in here while the world's, uh, you know, doing what the world's doing. And for some of you may even think, you know, I know that that's extreme in a caricature, but I kind of think that way, like the church is the escape from the world. And I want to tell you there's a lot of things that are wrong with that kind of thinking. There's some practical implications that we all couldn't live here. Uh, but, but there are just scriptural reasons are all kind of reasons. One is I thought about it between services is our name. Our name isn't, uh, doesn't give images of a bomb shelter or a place of hiding or a place to come and get away. Our name is Evangel, and that is a word that means proclamation. It means the word going out. So uh, what kind of bunker place where you want to go into hiding uh, is it good to have an identity that's proclaiming out? Uh, so that, that's one reason for our, our identity, but more importantly when we look at the word of God, right? Because that's what should be leading us. It doesn't match well with what Jesus said we should be doing. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's hard making disciples of all nations if the church doors are closed and we're all hiding, right? It's hard to go into all the world if we're running from the world. It's hard to do what Jesus called us to do there. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. It says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. Oh, Samaria, oh, that's a dark place. I don't want to be in Samaria. No, that's what they were thinking. No, you're going to Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. All kinds of crazy places like Samaria that you've never even heard of, you're even going to go there. That doesn't mesh well with what Jesus said was going to happen to his followers and those that are filled with his spirit. And then we get into John chapter 17. And this is a beautiful passage because Jesus is praying a prayer. And this is right before he goes to the cross. And he's with his disciples, and he's praying this prayer over them. And they call it Jesus' high priestly prayer because it's him just praying this intimate prayer on their behalf about them, and it's a, it's a beautiful prayer. And as he's praying, he begins to say some things. He says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. He promises that we're going to be in conflict with the world. He already assumed it. He knew it. He knew it was already a reality. and It was going to become a worse reality moving forward. He then goes on, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. So here it is. 
you may think that's a good idea to escape from all that, but Jesus specifically prayed for you because he says, I'm not praying this just for those that are here, but for everyone who ever believed because of, what, because of their message. We're included in that. He prayed specifically for you not to be taken out of this world. He says, no, that's not the answer. It's not to take them out of the world, but Lord, keep them from the evil one while they're in this world. That's the prayer. That's the prayer Jesus prayed. Not for your escape, but for your protection, for your preservation, that you would be held in this world. And he says this in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Wow, how beautiful is this? Because what he's saying is this. You and me, we aren't of the world anymore. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, if you have that life-changing relationship with Christ, if you've uh, acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, this isn't your home anymore. Your home is heaven. It says you're born from above now. That you're, that's your new identity. That's your new place. That's where you are now from. You look back and say, that's it. I'm born of God. I'm a, a new creation and that's where you're going. This is all temporary. But this is, this, is, this is our new identity. This is, we are not of this world anymore. We're in it, but we're not of it. Just as Jesus said. And so here's what he says. Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He says this. So here's, Lord, what I'm praying. Lord, would you sanctify them? That word sanctification is a word, just like when we say changed lives, changing lives, it is a changed life. It's a life that's continually changing. Think of sanctification like this because it's a big theological word. It's every day I'm looking more like Jesus and less like the world, moving towards him and away from who I was because we're, we're on that journey. None of us are going to reach perfection on this side of eternity. That's just a part of it. And so we're continually meant to be looking more like Jesus, made more in his image, as the Bible says. So he says, do that, Lord, do that, let them look, let them be shaped and conformed, sanctified in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is the truth, Lord. May your word wash over them, Lord God. May, you, may they be led and guided and shaped by your words, not the words of this world. And it says this in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus specifically said, we are a sent people into the world. So the idea of escaping from the world, escaping from this idea of the call, like, that is not the role of Christian in the world. That's not where we should be or how we should be thinking. So what is the answer then? The answer isn't the culture-shaped life. We get that. But it is a Christ-shaped life. And if we have a Christ-shaped life, the changed life that we're talking about, then we will be able to be in this world, not of this world. And in fact, we won't just be in this world, but we will be an agent of change in this world. And because of our presence, the world around us begins to change. That's what happens when you live a changed life, the way Jesus calls us to. That the church wasn't born with a hundred and some people in the upper room and then lived as a hundred and some people for the rest of the New Testament writing. It started like that and the world was a very dark place. But I'll tell you what, every single day from the moment that the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born, the world around them was becoming brighter. And there were pockets of believers, some days 3,000, some days 5,000. Now to the millions, to the billions of people that have come to know Jesus. So my friends, I know the world is a dark place. But don't you know that we're the light of the world and the Lord has called us. And not only are we meant to be going into the world, but we're meant to have an impact on the world, not be impacted by the world. And so that's what 
we're getting at here. That's what it means to live out the changed life. And that's what we exist to do as a church, is to live out the changed life, the Christ-shaped life. And so you're saying, how can I know what that is? That's a lot of stuff to think about. And when I read the word, I mean, it's a lot to take in. How do I know what, what is the changed life? Well, we've been working on this for a while uh, as a leadership, as a way for us to look and say, what is that changed life? Would there be a way we can more specifically address that and something we can almost use as like a checklist in our own lives to say, Lord, how am I doing? Am I living a changed life? And so I want to give this to you. You can take notes on it, but know that by the end of the series, everyone's going to receive a copy of this and you can carry it with you. And I pray that you will use it in your prayer life. I pray that it'll be something that helps spur you on in your life with Christ so that you don't live the insane life, the same old, same old, but you live a changed life. The first thing is this that you're connected to the body. That's C. That we are connected to the body because Jesus said, remain in me and I remain in you. So we need to be connected to him and we need to be connected as the body of Christ, the church. That means you don't go off on your own and just do your own thing. This is very, very important that you're connected to the body. And I would go further that if the only connection you have to this body is the pew that you sit on, that's not enough. That's not what it means to be connected to the body. So learn what that means and we'll, we'll explore that together. H is for hungry for God, that you have a hunger for God. Whenever my daughter was just born, my wife and I were like any young um, new parents were. Every cough, every time she looked at us weird, every time she didn't smile, or we were concerned. You know, she, you know, all this stuff's happening. Doctor, what do we do? And he said, that's all normal, you know. And so after the first couple of months of our checkups and us saying through our list of things that we're worried about, he stopped us and finally said something I think is great advice. He said, listen, here's what you need to be worried about. Is she hungry? He said, if she stops being hungry, then you got something big to worry about. Any of this other stuff will work through, you can call, but, but like, quit worrying about all that and focus on that. Is there a hunger there? If there's no hunger, that's scary. And as I heard that, and as I processed that, the Lord just put that right in my heart. If my people aren't hungry for me, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. We're living in complacency. Just like my daughter, if she wasn't hungry and eating, she would wither away. I, I would be so afraid for her. If we're not hungry for God, what does our spiritual lives look like then? Malnourished and depleted, anemic, that's no good. So we need a hunger for God. We need to actively share Jesus with others. Share our faith in him, our trust in him, what he has done in our lives. That's a message that is not meant to be held. It's a message that's meant to be shared with the world. And you know what? It's not a message that we just pay other people to go and talk about. It's a message we all have the responsibility to share with our lives, not necessarily with a megaphone. It's just meant to be the way that we live our lives, that we should be proclaiming Jesus in everything we do and everything we say that we should be sharing Jesus actively, not passively, not waiting for someone to come to us and say, hey, you seem like you have hope and I don't have any hope and will you tell me how you have that hope? That's great when that happens. But how many of you every day have people lining up at your desk to do that? No. Don't wait for just opportunity. I didn't say opportunistically share your faith. Actively share your faith. Be looking for every opportunity to do that. Uh, N is for nurturing your spiritual growth. And what that means is that you should be focused on growing in the Lord, being more than just the time you spend in church services. Even if you come to every single program that we have, even Sunday morning, they are not meant to be your spiritual growth in life. They are meant to supplement. Sunday morning is a key part of that, 
but your growth happens through your personal walk with God, through your daily time with him. Be in the word, be in prayer. Take on responsibility and ownership of that relationship with God. And, and if you are doing that, we will do everything we can to equip you to grow deeper and go further with him. And then everything that you're a part of in the church comes to life because it's coming from a place of already having that intimacy with the Lord. Don't show up on Sunday needing the first three songs to actually get you inspired. Come in ready to worship God because you've been worshiping him all week. Come in ready to pray because you've been praying all week. Come in ready to open the word because you've been in the word. Don't let it grow dust on it during the week. Uh, that's what it means to nurture your spiritual growth. Generous stewards. That we, as believers, as changed people, it should impact our generosity. And when I talk about stewardship, there are really three spheres to that. It's your time, the time God gives you. Because we're all appointed only a, a certain measure of time in this life. And time in a day and time in a week. Have you ever thought about how valuable your time is? And I know for me, I, I've seen that happen where a whole day will get away from me. And I feel like, Lord, I don't get that day back. And then imagine if you're doing things that don't really matter, like, like there are the things that you do and they just, they don't matter at all. Uh, you're just, whether you're in front of a television or just whatever, and that's just like dead time. Like, what, what was that? But have you ever asked the question, Lord, how's my time impacting eternity? Am I making, am I do, making a difference with how I'm investing my time, stewarding it? Because we're responsible for that before the Lord, not just our finances, not just those things. We have a responsibility to steward our talents before the Lord. If God has gifted you and entrusted you with a special set of gifts and makeup of who you are, you may not feel like you have much to offer him, but the Lord created you that way, not just so you could do what you do nine to five. He did it so that you can use it for his glory and his purposes. So how are you stewarding that? And then how are you stewarding the treasure, the material things, the wealth, all of that? And all of those things, when we look at the New Testament, we look at the early church, that's what we should be modeled after. They are generous in all of those areas. They're not stingy, they're not looking for, okay, what's the minimum amount that we have to give to God? There's no thinking like that in the New Testament. And there's no a place in the New Testament where God is drawing lines and saying, you know, just, just fit it right here. And we can get annoyed by that because we want lines. We want, you know, a tithe, a tenth, or they, like, give me some parameter so I can measure myself against it. But you know what God said? He said he's going to write his laws in our hearts. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. The Holy Spirit's in you now. And what Paul says, each person should give what the Lord has put in their heart to give. And that's not an excuse to go less than what God has already in the past said he should do. I think it's an invitation into generosity that God would, would mark in our lives. So we gotta, we'll unpackage that more in the, in the months to come, I'm sure. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We should have lives that are marked and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of Pentecost. And that's something that we should have and be experiencing in our lives today. That wasn't just a promise for them. It's a promise for today. And discipling others. That we should be involved in saying this. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Be on the same journey that I'm on with Jesus. That's the changed life. How many of you would love to take a journey like that? How many of you would love to see those things grow in your life? How many of you would love to see, yes, Lord, that's what it looks like. I'm invite the worship team to come up at this time. And as we go before the Lord, and we're going to prepare to end here in just a moment, I, I have this passage in Romans 12 that I read to you early. But uh, several months back, um, right when Lily was, was being born, uh, I was listening to a message, and I, and I don't remember exactly which one of our pastors had shared it, but they read 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and they read it from the message translation. Some of you will remember this. And it stood out for me then because I said, wow, that was great. That was really great. So as I was getting ready to preach this message, I went back to that translation, and when I read it, it had a whole new meaning as it pertains to what we've just talked about. So I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be up here on the screen. Pay attention to these words in plain English. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in the message, which is a paraphrase. So here's what, what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> in fact, what's funny is that I had created most of the message with the word culture and everything without going back there and seeing that word. So the Lord was confirming for me, let's not have the culture-shaped life. Let's have the Christ-shaped life. Let's have the changed life, church. Let's walk together for him. And I have this final question as we put back up, changed. You look at all these things, and I've already asked you, yeah, pastor, we're in. We love it. We love it. This is great. This is what I need. This is, this is what can help me get unstuck. I've been feeling stuck or complacent or whatever. I have one question for what you're going to do with this today. Are you going to be working to find time for this or to make time for this? And I believe there's a very important difference between what I just asked you. You thought I asked you the same question twice. To find time for this are those nice things that you have and say, hey, I hope I can find some time to do this, to visit that person, spend time with them. And I'll tell you what, more than often the time doesn't really come or it comes very inconsistently. But there are certain things in your life that I do not wake up every morning. I don't say, I hope I could find some time today to get a shower. If I don't get a shower, someone's noticing. If you don't get a shower, someone's noticing. And if you do that, don't do it on Sunday morning. We got all of, all of us coming around, right? You wake up and you say, I'm, I, my whole day can't even start until this happens. It's a priority. It's priority one for many of us. You don't go through the day and say, I hope I find some time to eat at some point during the day. And if, if not, no biggie. You do that enough days in a row, you will die. You don't say, you know, I hope I you know, can drink some fluids or some water, whatever the case is. You do that enough days in a row, you're going to die. Like, they're priority, they're essentials. And what I want you to know, if you'll know anything, that this isn't just an idea like, hey, here it is, another one of Pastor Chris's messages, and he's made them connect somehow. And, you know, it's, it's this thing that I'll remember from the 11th of January. These are our marching orders, church. This is what it means to live the change. Like when we talk about changed lives, changing lives, and you say, how do we measure that? That's how we measure it. And that's how we're going to keep measuring it. That's how we're going to look at our lives and say, Lord, are we going in the direction that you call us? And so I would encourage you, I would more than I would exhort you as your pastor, these aren't negotiable things in your life. These are, if you want to grow the way the word wants you, and God wants you to grow, and Jesus has called you, and God's created you to grow, these are essential. These aren't just suggestions. 
their priorities, not probabilities when it comes to it. And one of those, if you're going to talk about next steps and you're going to pray over that before we leave, one of the easy next steps for many of us today is to get baptized in two weeks. Baptism's coming on the 25th in both of our services. And we're going to say on that day, I'm a changed life. That's, I'm a changed life. And I'm ready to share that. And I was having a conversation yesterday with someone. He's a friend and he, uh, he attends here. And as I was talking to him, I saw him somewhere outside of church. And, and as we're talking, I had the privilege of baptizing him a few times ago when we had a service like this. And I started ask, I asked him uh, this question because I'm thinking about it now as I'm telling him about some of the things we're excited about. In two weeks, we're going to have baptisms. And I'm just discouraged because I know there are more people in the church that have said I'm a follower of Jesus but haven't yet been baptized. And for me, as your pastor, you need to know, it perplexes me. I'm not here because I need to fill some quota on how many people we dunk in a tank. I just, I just read the word and it's what God has called us to as followers. And I'm just like, what's getting in the way of that? So I'm talking to this guy and I figure, well, I know he was a believer for a while and then he got baptized, so I'm going to ask him the question. I said, why did you wait to get baptized? And he said, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know. And if I asked you point blank, you might say the same thing to me. So I thought, okay. I thought, let me rephrase the question. Why do you think there are a lot of other people maybe sitting in the church that know the Lord, but they're not getting baptized yet? And he thought about it, and, and his answer floored me. He said, I think it's because they're afraid of what's on the other side of the tank. I said, ooh, like, unpackage that for me. He said, whenever you do that, it's kind of, I remember feeling, it's like, I'm really all in for Jesus. I'm real, like, this is it. Like, I want to live for him. And he said, so I think a lot of people, they get afraid of that. And then I started thinking about that some more, and I thought, man, I bet then, as I share, and, I, and my job is to passionately command you to follow what the Lord has done, exhort you in any way I can, just share the command of Jesus with you to be baptized in, for some of you, it probably pulls you and you, you don't take the step yet. It's okay, I'm just talking to you as your pastor right now. And, and, I, and I thought, so then whenever the service is over, they probably leave relieved that they didn't get baptized. Like, whew, I almost got out of my seat that time. And, and, I, and, I, and I chuckled to myself, but then I was so grieved by that. And I was so saddened by that. And so I started praying a prayer, and I'm praying it for the next two weeks. So just be ready if that's you in your heart. I prayed this prayer, and I wrote it down so I could read it to you. Lord, I pray that no one who is thinking that they will leave our services on January 25th relieved that they did not get baptized. I pray that no one who needs to get baptized leaves relieved by not getting baptized. But instead... If anyone walks away from our service not getting baptized for that reason, because they love Jesus and yet they just are waiting, that they would have the same response as the rich young ruler had. And the rich young ruler was this man who came to Jesus and said, what do I do to have eternal life? And baptism isn't the answer to that question. You have to be baptized to have eternal life. But Jesus said this. He tells him to obey the law. He tells him, he said, I did all this. Jesus said, okay then, give up everything and follow me. And it said, and this is the response, Mark 10, 17. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who had much property. If you are contemplating not taking the next step in getting baptized, 
because you still want to hold on to this world and you're not really ready to be all in for Jesus, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you are. <laughs> like, because that, that's a person like all, all, all in. What are you waiting for? Just jump in. Just get into that relationship with him and be willing to make everyone aware of it. We're not waiting for perfect people. We're just waiting for people who are sold out for Jesus, saying, you know, I love him. I'm not getting up here and get baptized because I'm perfect, but because I know I love him and I don't care who knows it. And I'll just tell you, quit caring about who knows that you love Jesus and be willing to take that step with him. I'm not talking to any of you in particular. I'm just talking to us collectively. I know there are some of us here. And so the question comes out, are you all in or are you not? Will you be all in in 2015? Will you follow the call of God? Will you take whatever next step, whatever that looks like for you, are you willing to take it with him? Are you willing to take your relationship with God seriously in 2015? Because if you are and if you're in, God is going to change your life. I'm not going to change your life. We're not going to change your life as a church. Jesus is going to change your life as we give him room to move in and through you. So what's your next step today? Some of you now know what your next step is. Some of you, though, you can't take a next step until you take a first step. And the first step in this whole journey is you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to call upon him. You have to ask him to forgive you of your sins. And you could say it in any words that you want to, but if you're willing to acknowledge that and you're ready today, then would you just even mark it on a card in front of you in the pew? There's a, a card you could fill out and let us know. Come and talk to us at the foyer. Come in the back. We will meet with you. We'll pray with you. We'll stop what we're doing and help you. And any of us, what's your next step? I'm going to ask you to conclude this service when we stand together. Thank you for your patience. Let's stand together. And I want you just to look at these words and I want you to pray and ask God in the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you belong to Jesus. Lord, how am I doing here? What areas do you want me to grow in in 2015? Well, what areas do you know, are you encouraging me? Is your spirit calling me to move in? And I'm, we're going to let the Lord just speak to us as we respond to him. If you'd like to come forward, we're going to have altar workers here ready to pray with you. We're going to bring the lights kind of down and just let this be an intimate space to, to pray and to seek the Lord and to respond to him in any way that the Lord's calling you to respond. Whenever you feel led to go, you can head out. We'll see you again next week. Get signed up for all the things we talked about. But I'm just going to pray over us for that next step in answering that question. So, Lord Jesus, come now. Lord, you know this word, Lord. And I pray that this will be more than just another message on another Sunday, Lord. But this would be directional, Lord God. This would be a word that changes, Lord God. Uh, the way we view the world around us, the culture around us, Lord God, and the way we view our relationship with you. And we pray that no longer will we be conformed to the culture around us, but that we will be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit in us and by our relationship with you. And so, Lord, take us to greater depths in 2015. Lord, as we commit to live the changed life, Lord God, in your presence, would you be ever glorified? Would you lead and guide us? Would you empower us every step along the way? In Jesus' name, amen.